www.disneytimepodcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Disney Time Podcast. I'm your host, Micah, and joining me today are my co-hosts, Nelson. Hello. And Rissa. Hello. How's it going today, guys? Doing all right. Yeah, doing good. How about yourself? Doing well, doing well. So, some recent news is that Disney parks in Orlando started opening, so it looks like Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom were the first two. Did you see any coverage on that, Nelson? A little bit. I know more about the cast member and annual pass holder previews because those were held earlier in the week. Right. And quite literally, the first opening day to the public was yesterday as of this recording. So (laughs) I haven't seen or read too much about that in particular, but from what I can tell, things seem to be going well. Yeah. And uh, Rissa, did you see any coverage on it? Here and there, sporadically, I saw that the first day was pretty busy, but then the next days were kind of tapering off. So we'll we'll see how this goes, especially with the numbers of COVID. It's a little scary because we're seeing how Florida is spiking already. So in two weeks time, we'll see how that pans out. Yeah, I've been following our friends at the Capture the Magic Network, and they were there for the pass holder previews. Apparently, it's like 10% capacity, whereas the, the cast previews were about 5% capacity. So looking at their footage and their or their pictures and stuff, it looks like a ghost town, like really, really empty in both Animal Kingdom and Magic Kingdom. So even like when they were getting on rides and stuff, there's not really much wait and they don't really do pre-shows either. They just get you right on the rides. So it seems like right now it's a bit slower. I don't know about later on. (laughs) Yeah, which kind of begs the question, like, is it worth it for them and for the cast members to have this type of risk? Because you're not really experiencing um, the parks the way that you're used to, which is expected, of course. Uh, But it's also, is Disney going to get enough money from a 10% capacity, you know? Right. That became a good question because earlier it was announced that Disney World is actually opening up 2020 reservations again to the public as of July 9th. Right. So I was like, I was actually really surprised because they said they were going to do that later this summer, but it pretty much like right away (laughs) they opened it up again. So I'm just thinking to myself like, wow, that might be a tail sign that there's not as much response that they were hoping for initially. So do you think this stems from initial reservation attempts when people were getting stuck online and they were get the the loops and they couldn't actually make the reservations and they were just giving up? Or do you think that people are just staying home? What do you think, Nelson? I personally think it's a combination of things. Okay. Like that could be a factor where it you know it was too frustrating to deal with the initial system with all the hiccups and bugs and whatnot. But it also is kind of just a scary time in general just seeing the numbers in florida and california <laughs> they're all rising it's kind of a reminder it's still not safe speaking of california downtown disney also did a reopening and uh, they've been limiting capacity as well Risa, have you followed anything with about that 
I haven't really followed anything very much because of the fact that Disney is also allowing online shopping events. So especially for the 65th anniversary, they're having a shopping event occurring, I think, on Tuesday at 10 a.m. So if you want to get your gear, you can sign on there and try to get into the queue to buy 65th anniversary merchandise. Are you going to attempt to go online? Oh, yeah, because I want to get those pass holder exclusives. Nice. Do they look good? I haven't actually seen the pass holder stuff. They're not that bad this time around, so... I think I'll get it. At least a shirt. Oh, nice, nice. Or a pin. Hopefully they don't get experience like what happened with their you know, reservation system or whatever. Because I've seen Shop Disney has had some problems with people getting in. They get the, the error message a lot. People have yeah, been doing that. Yeah. Especially on my cell phone. When I try to use the app, I tend to get kicked out a lot. And I have to sign in multiple times. So I'm probably just going to use a web browser. Yeah, that might be smart. Just get on the computer. All right. So, yeah, I mean... Lots of things happening with Disney parks in the domestic parks. We already know that the all the other international parks have opened up, so jealous. <laughs> Very. <laughs> and it's like, you know, we'd like to go there, but are they letting us go to those countries? I don't think so, because we're from the U.S. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even Europe has banned Americans from traveling into their countries, so... Right. So, actually, on today's episode... For our listeners, we are actually going to be talking about the new docuseries, Into the Unknown. And it's about the making of Frozen 2. So, um, the three of us, we watched all the episodes, and I guess we... Did you guys binge it? Did you binge it, Nelson? I was originally not planning to, but because it was so good. (laughs) (laughs) I had to do it in two sittings, but I did practically binge it. How about you, Risa? Did you binge it? Oh, I totally binged it. I had every intention to binge it too, so <laughs> unlike Nelson. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I had the intention to binge it, but I had to split it into two, just like Nelson did. I got interrupted, so I, <laughs> so I, I binged it in two parts. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about that today. Um, what are your guys' initial impressions? What did, you, what did you think of it, Rissa? So when I first watched like the first episode, I was blown away with how they conducted this docuseries because they really focused on more than just giving you behind the scenes looks it was more focused on like driving a story like a true documentary would um so i'm kind of interested to see if they can have this entered into like emmys or something like that you know because it's like a reality type show which is a documentary series and they did a really good job with the content and showing you how animation is created from basically nothing and the struggle that they have to go through to get the end story that you have. So it made me really appreciate how much goes into these things. So what were uh, your overall impressions, Nelson? I was blown away by how entertaining, how informative, and how captivating this entire series was. It was so well made. And I had a hard time putting it down. Unfortunately, I had, like we explained earlier, I had to do it in two parts, but... Oh man, I was thoroughly enjoying it. My cheeks were hurting by the end of each episode because Mm -hmm. I was smiling so hard. (laughs) Yeah, me too. But oh man, it gave me a similar um, appreciation that Rissa was saying. It opened a lot of the back doors. (laughs) You know, you get to see quite literally behind the scenes and all these. I I learned a lot just watching this six-parter. I'm hoping that they 
do this more often. Because for one thing, this was very well planned out way ahead of time. And I'm glad that they did it. Yeah, in the first episode, they actually talk about how they purposely were creating this documentary while they were in the home stretch of the final year. So it's right. really great how it was so driven and it was purposeful, as opposed to some of the other documentaries that you see on Disney+. Plus. This one is really fleshed out, and you get to feel the emotions of the creators and see what their thought process is throughout the whole final year and it's it's amazing yeah you're really put in the into the thick of it because unfortunately to compare with say the mandalorian docuseries that was definitely after the fact yeah <laughs> and you could tell i will admit that i was bored after the first 20 minutes of the first episode i still haven't finished it yeah i got through the first episode and then i was gonna watch i was like halfway through the second episode of that docuseries but it was a bit of a struggle because you could definitely tell that they just had like a bunch of b-roll lying around and they're like oh what can we do with this yeah basically what they do with a dvd with the behind the scenes extras and they add commentary so that's what they did with that but this one was like a true documentary yeah it would be interesting to see like what rissa was saying about getting it entered into and awards like getting some awards off it it could be disney plus's first win because i have to agree with you guys uh well when you guys told me oh have you watched it yet and i was like no not yet i didn't want to because i was kind of done with frozen but right. then but then i started watching it and i was like oh i got engrossed in it because it the way that they shot it the way that they wrote it and the way that they put it all together was really really good in terms of storytelling and in terms of what they shot and what they showed us. Because I was like, wow, they're showing us the process. And then they're showing us everything that goes into finishing off this movie. And then you realize, oh, they really don't have a lot of the movie done in the last, I don't know, three months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was amazed at that. Because they give you trailers so far in advance that you think they're in the home stretch. All they have to do is the finishing touches, do the lighting and the sound, and they're done. Whereas in this, it was like they were scrambling in that final year down to the final month, which was right. amazing. I'm thinking that not all of their projects go this way just because of the way that the Lopez's were talking about this, that it was like a whirlwind. But yeah, this series was just so, so good. I would like to mention that with this series, it actually validated my first initial watch of the movie because... Even I was like scratching my head like I still don't understand where the voice came or what yeah, the voice was. Yeah. And then it shows in this series kind of a mini spoiler, but how even the production as a whole struggled with that one scene and one song and one story arc. So yeah. I was like, I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, but you could tell that the struggle with Show Yourself, uh, we're jumping ahead, but throughout the struggle of Show Yourself, that they couldn't really decide because there were so many different avenues that they could take, but they finally decided on one, but it, it felt like they didn't commit fully because they were so close to the end already that they just had to do what they could do, you know? Right. Yeah, and then we'll see later that they were even considering scrapping the whole song. Yeah. That, that would have been sequence. a travesty. Right, right. And, and, you know, like even the Lopez's were saying, you know, we kind of don't want to redo it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so it's like, they were showing us like they were doing screenings with other producers directors in the audience and some of the screenings they were showing that 
it's definitely not complete. Like there's some parts that are animated. There's some parts that are storyboard. There's some parts that are like rough sketches. And you're like, wow, you realize it really is far from being done. So yeah, yeah, that that was pretty good. It's also nuts because Frozen 2 isn't up there in terms of my favorite Disney movies. For me, it's like probably in the middle just because I don't really rank sequels too high most of the time. But this docuseries really bumped it up on my list because I got more appreciation for the type of creative minds that had to go through this. I definitely watched this movie like twice after watching this docuseries. Oh, I did too. I totally did too. <laughs> so did you get gain an appreciation for what your friend Teal was working on, Nelson? Oh my gosh. You know, to answer your question, yes. She is a technical director in environment, so they actually touched on that. There was a section, I forget which episode, I think it was episode three, but there was a section where they actually introduced TDs or Mm -hmm. technical directors. Specifically, there was one that was doing environment. So I was like, are they going to, is Teal going to show up? Yeah. (laughs) I texted Nelson when, when I got to that episode. Yep. I will admit also that I was secretly also trying to keep a keen eye if I could spot her, you know? Did you? (laughs) I think I saw her. I mean, this person did look like her, but I haven't actually asked Teal myself. So (laughs) I haven't confirmed with her if she's seen the series, if she knew that she was filmed at one point or whatnot. But I think I saw her. (laughs) So It kind of makes me wonder if the creative minds on this went back and watched the Disney Plus docuseries because, you know, that's like a whole stressful year of their lives that they would have to relive, you know? Mm-hmm. I would assume that they would look back at it and then be like, wow, that's what we had to go through to get this done, right? Yeah. But maybe they'd appreciate it more that they maybe. that they actually went through it and they were able to triumph because, you know, they were showing at the end and that... Frozen 2 was a success, so... Yeah, episode 6 made it... It was like a relief, and I was smiling the whole episode through because I was like, yes, they did it, finally! Right, that's like the culmination, and you you see it, you're like, wow, that was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so let's touch on the parts when they... Because music is a, a big part of Frozen, and we all know that. So, Brissa, what did you think about you know them showing the lopez's and they were also showing you know all the stuff that goes into creating the music behind this movie what did you think about it so i really really appreciated the orchestration the most i feel just because they spent a bunch of episodes just peppering in orchestration and how much goes into that and how much it culminates in such a a relief and it's like their milestone once they hit that room when they're recording the orchestration so i just really love that part the most but yeah seeing their creative process of how they tweak the songs and how the lopez's are completely involved in the story throughout it really lends itself to understanding how much disney incorporates their songs to make these animated movies true musicals and why it translates so well to broadway just right off the bat Because in a good musical, like they mentioned in the docuseries, the music is part of the story. So having the Lopez's talk with the screenwriter, who is also one of the co-directors, Jennifer Lee, was such a great way to create and meld the story. And both Jen and Kristen were in the mind of Elsa the whole time. Especially in the first episode, you see 
Jennifer Lee talking about the journal she wrote about Elsa's experiences and being on the fjord. I kind of want her to release a book for that because I would totally read something like that. Oh, when they went out there to... No, she... So I think in episode one, she was talking about why they wanted to make Frozen 2 and explore Elsa's powers, you know? So she was journaling for a long time as Elsa, describing the fjord and her connection to nature and all of this. And then she had Chris Buck read it and they developed the story from it. It was basically her brain mapping. So I kind of want her to release a book of that because it sounds like it'd be really pretty to read. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see. Yeah. But in terms of the music, yeah, I'm a music nerd. So the whole incorporation of all the steps, especially with Christoph Beck's you know, towards, I think it was like this fifth or sixth episode where it flashes over to Oregon and he's in his little home studio messing around with a synthesizer, pops that orchestration synthesizer into another program and it pops out sheet music for all the different parts. I was like, mind blown. Yeah, I was kind of nerding out on that too because in the digital audio workstation I've been working in, it actually does that too. You can, you can get some sheet music out of what you've been writing. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. So I was like looking at the process, like that's a lot of different parts that he's writing for too. So you have to think about that. And uh, yeah. So what did you think about the music, Nelson? Oh my goodness. Holy cow. For one, I had no idea that they were so, like all these different steps were so quote unquote disjointed. I didn't figure like there'd be so much time in between each step. Oh, you'd think they just write the thing and then it'd be performed and then that's it, right? Like, it's Yeah, done. I knew for a fact that orchestra was probably one of the last things. Right. But I thought it would have been closer towards the middle of... <laughs> I just said last, but I felt like it should have been more towards the middle because how would the animators know to make the music fit, you know? But it's literally the opposite where they make the music fit the animation. I was like... Mm-hmm. Oh, and. I just didn't have that much of an understanding of the whole process, so this series definitely helped in my ignorance there. And again, this is going to be a recurring theme. It just gave me a whole new appreciation of what goes into making a great movie, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I was blown away, for one, when they were, Idina was doing her recording of Into the Unknown. I was smiling so hard in the second episode when Jonathan Groff was singing his Lost in in the Woods, (laughs) because that's honestly my favorite song in the movie. And I mean, then later on, like what you guys were talking about when they cut over to the orchestration being created in Oregon, and I was just blown away myself. I was like, this is so cool. Yeah. (laughs) Right? And I had goosebumps, especially when the first live orchestra played along with Idina's singing or whoever song they were, you know, creating the orchestration for. I got goosebumps. Mm -hmm. It was just like so, so amazing. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Yeah. And if you got goosebumps there, what would it have been like if you were in the room, right? Right. It's just like, whoa. They showed Idina Menzel, you know, she was singing along to it. And then at the end of it, her, Jennifer Lee, they had like this huge hug and they were crying because, you know, it's like the culmination of all that work, you know? Right. It just came together so well. Yeah. 
It was gorgeous. And I forgot to talk about Kristen Bell's performance of Do the Next Right Thing. Oh, yeah. Because I wanted to cry with her in that docuseries. Because when I first watched the movie and then re-listened to the songs once we got the soundtrack, I was like, man, this sounds like it would be a really hard song to sing. Because, you know, she's crying and she has like all these other hard emotional parts because she's connecting to Anna in this deep depression. And then all of a sudden it crescendos and she has a normal sounding voice. So hearing how they cut together different pieces, especially when Idina was singing uh, Some Things Never Change, where she's like, oh, I was a little flat on that. And they're like, oh, no, no, we have a lot of different days. So, you know, that's why it makes me appreciate how it's so hard to sing these songs live because they're not meant to be sung live. That's right. They take a lot of takes and then they take the best takes. Exactly. So that's why when she struggled with Into the Unknown in the Oscars, I'm like, well, no wonder because she had like a bajillion takes. It's such a hard song to sing and you got to nail it because you can't doubt yourself. It's such a crazy arrangement and a crazy ambitious song. So yeah. Props to her, even attempting to do it live. Yeah. She's a goddess. (laughs) (laughs) She's a queen. I love her. So, yeah, you know, going back to Jonathan Groff with Lost in the Woods, they threw in the animation process to as part of animating to that song. Do you guys remember the the animator? She's the same one that did the the slide that Elsa's sliding up the thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, she, and then she put her face for when the reindeer were all singing and stuff. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think about that process? I didn't even know that they could like attach actual live footage to the animated footage like that. I didn't know they could do that. What did you, what do you think? I had no idea that they could do that. Because I do know back in the day when they did hand-drawn animation, they would have mirrors at their desks so that they could act out what they're trying to draw and see the face shapes and all that. So... I thought it was really cool that they integrated this within the software that they could animate on top of their own facial features and and how each of these scenes ends up having a little bit of personality from the animators. So it's amazing how the editor comes through or whoever the supervising animator is to make sure that the movie feels like it's one complete continuous movie because I had no idea that they split up the scenes so disjointedly, you know? Right, yeah, so you'll have one person working on something and then another person working on another thing and it will be like, how do you get it to all work together without looking like somebody's doing something else than the other person, right? Yeah, it doesn't feel like a piecemeal movie. It feels like true to the character. So it's amazing how these animators can connect to these characters and just get into their minds and know what they would be thinking or how they would be acting, you know, without putting their own type of bias onto there. Which is why I think they had those dailies where they had the two directors come in and give their thoughts on it because that would make it more on the director's voice rather than just the animator's voice. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that, Nelson? Oh, well, for one, I wasn't too surprised that each of these different scenes and all these different people are working on, say, just one character, but the later on they meld them together. But of course, you know, they have to make sure that they're all, it's one cohesive flowing feel, right? I wasn't too surprised at that because that's what they do in anime. (laughs) There's all these different animators and there's one lead animation director per like characters. Because for one, each animator will have their own specific style. 
right. of how they draw the character. So this one lead person will make sure that it melts together nicely. So another thing that they did with the series was it made characters out of key people in the whole creation of this movie, like Jennifer Lee and Chris Buck. And like they kind of humanized them. What did you think about that type of storytelling, Rissa? I thought it was really telling in terms of a documentary. Like that's why I was saying that it's true to a, a true documentary. They followed them through their lives. They gave you that personal connection. You got to see into Jennifer Lee's life as a working CCO because she's the chief creative officer at Walt Disney Animation. How she balances that role along with making this documentary along with writing a screenplay and directing and also being a single mother. So you got to see that kind of balance where she, in terms of being a head and an executive in Disney, wants her people to prioritize their families too, because we got to see families of the animators, of different creative heads, and they also told the story of Chris Buck's son Ryder and where the character name Ryder came from in Frozen 2 so they spent a pretty good chunk of an episode explaining Ryder's story as a songwriter and how he inspired different people and how the song Do the Next Right Thing came from that so I really liked how they showed these creative minds from the cast to the crew to the directors and all of the people involved in the movie as human beings because it really makes you connect to them and it makes you want to learn more about them and how they put their hearts and souls into a movie. Earlier you mentioned about Kristen Bell and you know you were wondering how she was able to not cry while singing. I mean like cry like ball out ball and then they did you know they humanized her too or they were saying that she also or she was saying that she went through depression as well right? Yeah, she still struggles with it. She's a very vocal advocate of mental health, and she's talked about it on a bunch of different podcasts and also a bunch of different interviews, um, particularly with Ellen Generous. And she really advocates for people saying that it's normal to feel these things, and it's normal to have those days when you're down and you don't want to function. But really, she connected with Anna because in those moments, the only thing that you can do is the next right thing and she was talking about how you know sometimes she doesn't want to get out of bed she's not feeling like herself but the next right thing is to wake up and brush her teeth and then the the next right thing is to make breakfast for her children and then the next and the next and the next and it just resonates with so many people because it's such a human thing when you're down, you don't know what to do. You just have to take the next step. And that's what Chris Buck did. And that's what Kristen Bell does. And it's what Anna does. So it's great that they incorporated such a human characteristic within a children's movie. So what what did you think, Nelson? Were you able to connect with the cast and the directors and, and all that just by watching this? Yeah. And specifically, I thought of a, one example being... I didn't know. And I mean, look, thinking back on it, it makes a whole lot of sense. But how the directors for this movie, Jennifer Lee and Chris Buck, how they actually had meetings with other Disney directors and they got their point of view and they focused on how, like, say, Jennifer, she felt so vulnerable because, you know, she's putting out her ideas and the whole screenplay, the plot, and just showing other Disney directors what she has and then they give her and Chris their honest 
and almost brutally honest opinions on this didn't make sense this i'm still confused and it was just like wow wow they're getting such good feedback from actual other directors and again it makes so much sense to do so it's just i never thought that that was a like a thing yeah like a brain trust type of thing right and it's truly like yeah <laughs> i would definitely be feeling the pressure because you're getting all these other big talents to critique your work which was like the reason why they were struggling with the show yourself portion because right. they when they were having these directors come in and do the round table they're saying they got confused at the, at some of those right. those portions there they don't know what was going on so you know they had to make everything work and it's one of those things where it's like coming down to the wire already and you don't know are they going to get it are they going to get it right or you know so that's that's one of the things you see there yeah and to build on that same example they also were really I don't want to say worried, but they were definitely affected by the original screening to the special audience. I yeah, forget what previews. it's called. It was preview, the audience right. preview. So the audience didn't know what they were going to see to begin with. So it was definitely going to be fresh minds and non, quote unquote, well, as unbiased as possible because they didn't know what they were going to see initially. So yeah, getting that feedback and it actually was quite a bit of an eye-opener for them because right after that section of the episode, they were saying, like, uh, I don't think we should have any cameras today, guys. Yeah, well, yeah. that that audience preview was episode four. Yeah. So that's, like, already almost before D23, they were saying it was, like, June, July, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the movie release was in November. So they were showing how much happens during that audience preview at, right afterwards. They have that session where they're discussing all the things that they need to do. And then the scheduler goes and puts everything on hold. He was listing all of the things, all of the people that are on hold and all of the things that the directors have to discuss. So everybody else's jobs, they just have to put down what they're doing, you know, which is nuts. And then they have the meeting with the supervisors to tell them what needs to get changed and what gets cut out of the movie. And then yeah. you see the animators are like, did mine get cut or did mm -hmm. mine get, oh, yeah. you know, so it's like. Did my stuff survive all that work? Was it for nothing? But Yeah, and it was rough because some of the stuff was already completely animated, like with lighting and everything. Yeah. So then after that point, they're like, we know what we what to do and we know how to finish the film, right? So that's mm -hmm. the thing. They end up saying, oh, we're probably going to have to stay working six days or seven days a week for, I don't know, 12 hours a day or something. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was really a race to the finish. So yeah, and then... Um, they showed us the D23 portion, Expo, D23 Expo. And one of the things that I didn't realize was that when they were bringing out the like the, the cast and stuff, when they were backstage, they didn't know a lot of this. They were just like us, finding things yeah, out. Yeah, that was quite literally their first time seeing it, too. Yeah, <laughs> I almost cried when I saw them backstage because I was like, they didn't see any previews before us? Like, right. what? <laughs> You would have expected since, you know, they're the actors or they're the cast yeah. that they would have seen something. Yeah, right? and we got to see it on a big, big screen. And they were on this tiny little monitor in the back and they were hugging each other and they were so happy for all that they did. And then they come out 
and they sing for us and I was just like we were there yeah exactly (laughs) I got such the feels when that part of the episode came up like oh my gosh I was freaking there yeah I was looking for myself but we were so far in the back I was like oh we wouldn't be on screen (laughs) yeah I mean that that was that was quite an experience for us going and and seeing them come out I mean that whole panel was just like stars after stars after stars and then yeah I felt like I needed a new set of pants after that panel. <laughs> oh, it was my. The, it was <laughs> <laughs> Should I say it in the George Takei voice? Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they closed it out. So that was great. And they, even with the confetti, the, you know, that was falling the from leaf, the, the it leaves. Was, it was yeah. maple leaves, yeah. Yeah. That was so cool. That was so cool. And then, you know, seeing them come out and perform it, and we're just like, wow. That was... Oh, and their their trade secrets of the breath mints and spray. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like, we're giving Just away before. our secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Just before going out, yep. So one of the things that I was sad about was Sterling K. Brown's song. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. That's they right. mentioned he had one and they cut it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because he was really sad because for one thing, he had to audition by singing as yeah. part of his audition. And then like his song got cut. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. That was the, the song that almost made it, but then Show Yourself ended up making it, right? The Something Meets the Sky or whatever? Yeah, that, that, yeah. yeah, that's what they're saying. He found out, like, oh, they cut my song. <laughs> yeah, that was after the audience previews because I, I believe the audience was like, what's happening now? But what came out of that was the Olaf sequence, which is one of our favorite mm-hmm. parts of Frozen 2. The one where he's telling the story. Yeah, he about he like the spark the notes Frozen of one. the, the <laughs> yeah. red first movie. Yeah, yeah. Yep. that was really inventive. And then you know, like Josh Gad, he was doing a lot of improv on that too, right? Yeah, pretty cool. I always like Josh Gad improv. So <laughs> yeah, he's a funny guy. That was pretty amazing. Just you know, seeing the cast, seeing the crew, seeing everything that went into it. You know, animation wise, figuring out how the story would flow. That was a great, great series. Yeah. Overall, what are you guys' thoughts on this to wrap it up? (laughs) I mean, I love the series so much that I watched it twice. And then I proceeded to watch Frozen 2 twice. So I really, really recommend this series. Sorry if we spoiled you if you haven't watched it. But this is the tip of the iceberg of watching it. You should watch it because it's an experience in and of itself. Even if Frozen is not your cup of tea, this is definitely something that you'll appreciate if you appreciate animation and if you appreciate the creative minds of Walt Disney Animation because they show you so much and it's like really looking behind the velvet curtain. It's not just a behind-the-scenes special type of thing. You get to see the inner workings of Disney Animation. You get to see them even making coffee and what the animators get to see once previews happen and trailers happen. So it's really, really cool. And I love that one of their conference rooms that they did dailies in was called Motunui. <laughs> I was like, oh man, they booked Motunui the whole time for Frozen 2. That's amazing. So yeah, I just love how this docuseries really pulls back that curtain and you get to see how much goes into these films and you really get to appreciate it as a Disney fan. What about you, Nelson? Yeah, I don't know if you guys could tell, but we definitely recommend watching this if you have not yet. 
why are you listening to us? Go watch the series right now. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I said before, my cheeks were hurting after each episode. So I definitely have a new appreciation for all the work that goes into making a Disney movie. And it was just great to see the inside of the Disney animation studios because I've been always kind of wanting to do that. <laughs> do a tour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Teal has invited me, but it has to be during a weekday. So mm. honestly, I haven't been able to go since I typically only have weekends free unless, you know, I actually make a trip out of it. Right. I believe D23 members, there's some events that you can tour the Burbank site and the Glendale mm-hmm. site. So when COVID's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely thoroughly enjoyed this series. Yeah, I also agree. If we spoiled anything, apologies, but you should definitely experience it for yourself. Cool. So, Rissa, anything you want to tell our listeners to close? Yeah. Thank you for tuning in and listening to our thoughts on Into the Unknown making a Frozen 2 because, like I said, I really, really love this series and I hope that they can have an entry into the Emmys or whatever prestigious awards there are for documentaries because I'm not privy to that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I hope you enjoyed and I hope that you're staying safe out there. Nelson, uh, anything you want to tell our listeners? Yeah, thanks guys for joining us this week. If anyone at Disney's listening, I also would like to please, please, please keep doing this. You know, for future movies, this is an awesome idea. I felt like you guys hit a home run with this docuseries. So if there's other ones planned in the future, can't wait to see it. But if not, please reconsider. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode and hope to talk to you next time. So yeah, um, this series, Into the Unknown, Making of Frozen 2, comes with our recommendations. So listeners, if you haven't seen it yet, we recommend you go and see it. I'd like to thank you all for tuning in to our episode. And until next time, on behalf of the other two, I'd like to say, keep your watches, sync to Disney time. See ya. Bye. Later. Later.